I'm Norman Thurecht from Pitcher Partners. Today I'm in conversation with Michael Flannery from Life Pharmacy Group. Michael has had an amazing career as a pharmacist and a businessman, including winning Pharmacy of the Year in 2019 for his Forbes Pharmacy. His other interests include building a pharmacy management group aimed at helping community pharmacies be more deeply engaged in their communities. I'm interested to understand from Michael what are the building blocks of his business success. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Um, tell me, how did you get your first uh, opportunity in pharmacy ownership? Uh, Norman, firstly, pleasure to have a chat today. It's always good to talk all things pharmacy with you. Um, I was very fortunate, Norman. Uh, my dad was a pharmacist and pharmacy runs deep in our family. I had also an uncle on my mum's side and an uncle on my dad's side, both pharmacists. So went back to Forbes to do some work for my dad and um, there were three pharmacies in town at the time. And having worked for him for a year, uh, one of the pharmacies came on the market. So probably unbeknownst to me, I, I sort of stumbled into ownership. Uh, opportunity came up and so I purchased the store and I, so my dad helped me facilitate getting in. And the wholesalers at the time were offering 115% uh, finance. Uh, so it was financial, you know, financially it was easy to get in and uh, that's why I started my career back in uh, February 1990, yeah. And how was that being in uh, competition with your dad? Uh, it was an interesting scenario that I'd worked for him for a year and, and had learnt a lot from him over the, my holiday work with him and then the year I worked with him my first year out. Um, unfortunately, four weeks after I bought my pharmacy, he passed away. So I was sort of left in the, the lurch as far as... Um, you know, what to do locally and you know the town was very mm. supportive um, but you know for the period we were in competition there was a lot of comments around uh, who was leaving his business to come and visit me and and vice versa you probably had the people not used to dealing with the 23 year old pharmacist who wanted to deal with the older pharmacists and mm. and vice versa so yeah. it was a bit of fun for the for the couple of months yeah, yeah. was your dad an influence on your on your early pharmacy career yeah in huge influence for me um, I mean anyone who's grown up with a, a parent being a pharmacist you know you you're dragged into the store at a young age to whether it be unpacking boxes or mm. counting pills. Um, and over the years, I took a real interest in the business side and also saw my dad's involvement in the community, which probably set my own standards around what I you know, sort of believe a community pharmacist obligations are in these, especially in the regional areas. So you brought a partner into Forbes before you left Forbes? Yes, so one thing I identified very early, as I said, um, at one stage we had, uh, I was running the two pharmacies in Forbes um, and after my dad died, I was running under locums. Right. And I've, I went through a string of good locums, unreliable locums, short-term locums. And what I decided to do was in the 90s, um, there was an amalgamation package from the government. So what we did at the time, we combined my dad's original store and my pharmacy, relocated into a 564-square-metre pharmacy. Um, and the goal was to consolidate the, the, the pharmacy operations, but also for me, you know, I was working seven days a week with four young kids and I just couldn't keep up the pace. And at that time we were struggling to get good pharmacists so I decided that it was an idea. My wife and I sat down and worked out we've got to change this. So we started a scholarship program for local um, students who wanted to do pharmacy and I would pay them a contribution through university and offer them an internship. And over that period of time, uh, Tanya Dwyer became my intern and a full-time pharmacist identified a young guy living at a place called Lake Angelico called Simon Blacker. Um, we tracked Simon down at college at uni eventually and he came and uh, it took a while to get Simon uh, to return any calls but uh, he then came and did intern year and then within the first 12 months of Simon working for me um, was when I was planning to leave. So Tanya and I and Simon sat down and decided to form a partnership and that was sort of the foundation for the, the ownership structure that we have now. 
So Michael, um, when you came to Sydney, you only had the pharmacies in Forbes, or did you have other other pharmacies at the time as well? Uh, we had a pharmacy in Parks. So one thing Simon identified as a partner, and one thing you learn bringing partners in, you need to understand what their career pathway looks like for them. In Simon's case, the first thing he said to me is, I want to be an owner. His family had come out of owning pubs and newsagents in Lake Angelico, and I recognised very early on that was his, one of his passions. So a pharmacy happened to come on the market in Parks, which is 20 minutes from Forbes. So Simon moved as a partner um, in 1998 in that pharmacy, and I was like his mentor, even though we, we had worked together in Forbes, I right. was then a remote mentor 20 minutes away. And so when I moved to Sydney, we had Forbes and Parks, and also at that point, Arana Mall and Dubbo had come aboard, where Simon then relocated, eventually moved to Dubbo. Okay. How important do you think it is to actually have a partner to build, build a business and, and work together? Uh, look, I think setting the groundwork for the partnership is the most important. I mean, some people sold, some people like to be sole traders and don't need the support of a partner, and that's fine too. And I know my first year or two, I, I was probably very passionate just doing things as I wanted to do them myself. Mm-hmm. I soon recognised, though, to, for growth opportunities and, and also work-life balance. You know, I had four young yes. kids that bringing a partner in also brought new ideas, brought new energy. Um, you know, these guys are 10 years younger than me at the time, Simon and Paul and Tanya. So I was able to sort of take in all their energy, all their enthusiasm. They were being trained differently at university than I was trained. Um, they brought that sort of, you know, that, that sort of um, youthfulness into the partnership. But it was all, I mean, the, the important thing about having a partner though is when you sit down, you understand the, the rules of the partnership and the agreements on how, what roles you have and so that there's opportunities to, for both of you to grow or the three of you to grow or how many there are in your partnership. Because it, it's got to be um, an open communication. It's like a marriage. Do you think with the next generation of pharmacists it's important to, to embrace them as partners to help the journey of, of the change required in pharmacy? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, I think it's really important to do that. I, understanding what a pharmacist's career path looks like, as I said earlier, understanding their drive. Not in conversations with good young pharmacists at times, they're not driven to be owners, some of them, others are. And I think what a challenge is as an existing owner and someone who's been around the industry for a long time is to create opportunities for them that is just more than just dispensing. And these, these, these pharmacists come out so well trained in clinical knowledge um, and we now have the ability to apply that probably in a lot more facets outside the dispensary um, through clinical programs and even the influenza vaccination recently that it gives them opportunities to help us expand the professional role of the pharmacist and expand the scope of practice effectively. Michael, um, uh, just switching to um, your other business interest, which is uh, Instigo Catalyst, just um, explain to me what, what was the driver for actually developing that business? Um, Norman, it's an interesting story because um, we had Amcal pharmacies uh, in Forbes, Parks and Dubbo and they were very high performing Amcal pharmacies and I really love being part of the Amcal family. and. Yeah, some of my, my great mentors in those days, you know, a guy called Peter Madden, Peter Gissing, um, Patrick White, were all members of the Amcal family in my region and I learned a lot from them. But when I moved to Sydney, one of the things I, I identified, and Amcal went through a change, but went from a co-op and a whole lot of things changed. And it wasn't just Amcal, all the brands were going through changes with wholesaler ownership. And I probably identified that in the regional areas, we had a different need than what the brands uh, were offering. And at one point there, I thought, you know, we should take on the world and create a brand ourselves. Um, a guy called Mark Williams, who was a pharmacist mate of mine who was doing a bit of consulting at the time, sat me down and said, look, I, I think you're never going to have deep enough pockets. The brand is such a, 
it was a passion of mine, it was a vision, but it was unsustainable to achieve. And he said, you know, I, I think you need to work with other partners. And, and so what I, I sat back and I thought, what I wanted to do was to create something that a brand, we needed from the brand, but didn't necessarily have a brand. So hence we started our independent group, which is now what is Instago is the pharmacy services business. Catalyst is one of our, our member groups. And how it effectively evolved was um, we decided to create everything a brand should create. So we created a loyalty platform. We built a loyalty um, program around health services marketing. We then worked out, gee, we needed to do some people management. So we built a whole people management, working with people outside the industry of expertise. And eventually we ended up, I was just this is for my own partnership group. And then a few people would say to me, how can you live in Sydney and do these things in the bush? And I said, look, I've just got good people. You know, I, was, I was surrounded by good people in Sydney, had really good people in the businesses. And then we decided to commercialise it. So we moved from a really um, innovative name called Flannery Management uh, to Instigo. 95 is a lot of pharmacies that you look <laughs> after uh, under your stewardship. Uh, what are some of the hurdles that you experienced over the years in building that, that part of the business as a management services uh, provider? Pharmacist reluctance to change. Um, it's very comfortable to sit and do things as you've always done them, whether it be with a banner, whether it be with a location, whether it be the policy system you use, whether it be the, yes. the pharmacist in charge you've had. Um, I mean, one thing we've established over the years, it all comes down to the people. Yeah. I mean, the, the owner's got to be engaged and be willing to change. And a lot of our uh, foundations of all the marketing and all the professional services particularly is all around change management. Um, and fortunately, Andrew's background is psychology and change management and, and probably his father was a pharmacist, so he's combined, you know, growing up in the pharmacy world with his career um, in psychology and, and learnings to be able to then put this whole change management piece in place. And, you know, overcoming that first resistance of an owner going, oh, if I did that, I'm not sure what my customers would think or what my staff would think. And working through that process has been really important. But on the other end, we, our biggest sales pitch for Catalyst is the network. They, they talk, they refer people into our group based on um, they get listened to, they get support, they can keep their localness and p keep agile. And we're really working at the moment to try and get you know, pharmacists to go back and do what they do well, which is be a really important part of the community uh, in which they operate. I'm Norman Thurek from Pitcher Partners, and you're listening to my conversation with Michael Flannery from Life Pharmacy Group. Michael, do you think trust is a big issue there? You mentioned pharmacists' reluctance to change. Is, is, is that a trust issue? People, people wanting to trust or, or not trust initially? Um, I think given the current state of the industry, pharmacies had a lot of challenges both financially and meeting professional standards about keeping up. And I think pharmacists traditionally haven't trusted other pharmacists. Mm. And I know when we first started you know, the Flannery Management, one of the reasons we took my name out was I was a pharmacist and people thought I'd be looking at their figures or doing things that you know, was going to compete with them. But at the end of the day of five and a half thousand pharmacies, we're 95. Um, and when we're very rarely in similar demographic, sorry, demographics that are close enough to each other to compete. Um, but we learn to us, it's all about the synergies you get. And that does take trust. We would have um, a number of pharmacies that come and talk to us that just will want to take everything we've got, but you get this sense they don't really, um, they're never going to hand over um, that level of trust to you to be able to help you change their business, in which case we then end up probably parting ways or not even working with them. Yeah. But the ones we do have, I have to say, we've a lot of our members, um, we only ever lose members when they sell. Um, so it's a good indication of that 
bond and relationship that the Instigo team have built with their members. And it is very important that we trust them to help um, us deliver that professional services offer and the catalyst offer, and that they trust us to help them in being better community pharmacists and community pharmacies. It's an interesting concept you raise there that you're not really competitors um, in a sense. Uh, you see that, I mean, my view is that the community pharmacy is exactly that, it's part yeah. of the community. And, and, and in your travels and your businesses, how do you see that interaction between the stores that you have close to one another? Are they competitors or is it just one big community? Um, in the wider community, do you mean? Yes. Um, I think people focus too much on what the other pharmacists down the road's doing. Um, I think that they should be looking for synergies. Um, even when in, in Forbes I grew up, three different owners had three different pharmacies. Uh, two of them went, my dad and one of them went to uni together. They shared information if there were supplier nights, all their teams went together. And we sort of follow that ilk that, you know, if there's a regional training, we invite our competitors to come along. Because our view is the stronger community health, community pharmacy is, the stronger we all are. Michael, across all of your business interests, you, you, you obviously look after a lot of people. Um, I'm sure that's not plain sailing every day of the week. How do you manage some of those issues? Good question. Um, people management is the biggest challenge we would have. And, and I think that's not unique to me or my role or my, our industry. Um, I think being very clear on what your strategic goals are for the organisations um, so that when people look to work with you or are currently working with you, you've got very clear guidelines on, on what the purpose of their role is and what the outcomes are. Um, recruiting and, and surrounding yourself with good people and different types of people and different types of qualifications and skills, especially if you roll out to the broader Instigo where there's a team of marketing people and people, there's another team of five pharmacists doing professional programs that are more clinically trained than say I was. You know, I think it's important if, if you just recruit people like you all the time, you, you never get over that, um, expand into those new challenging areas. On that point, Michael, you know, being a leader of your own group and leader of your own business, um, you know, it's often difficult to sit down and, and talk to someone about what you're experiencing. Who's been your um, guide during that period? You know, is it, is it your wife? Is it your family? Is it people in business? Yeah. Um, my wife would be the long-suffering suffering person I've, I've whinged and carried on to for 27 years now. And um, to her credit, she's always got something fresh and new to you know, to, to feed back to me or tell me to pull my head in or change the way I'm looking at things, you know, which has yeah. all been very positive and yeah. it's been very important. Um, as I said, over the years I had in Amcal, I had guys like Peter Madden and Pete Gissing who were very early influences on me on you know, just doing the right thing in the community pharmacy industry and standing up in your community. And, and Maddo was Maddo from Paddo, so he was the, a CBD Oxford Street pharmacist. Pete Gissing was, you know, he's down at um, Wagga, had a couple of stores. He helped set up CSU. So I had these influence of people that were fantastic role models of community pharmacists, but also outside their, their pharmacist role, they were community leaders and they were entrepreneurs. And you know, then I had, um, I mentioned Patrick White. It was uh, one who I had a lot to do with Patrick in the Amcal days. Of more recent years, a guy called John Whiting was a great mentor to me. John was introduced through another fellow pharmacist and John had been chairman, was chairman of Chemart. And he brought a whole different sort of element of thinking around managing it, especially the Instigo Catalyst and the Life Pharmacy Group sort of structure and about the people. And, you know, I've been very lucky. I'm always hmm. always looking for people to talk to because I always recognise that, um, you know, if you get stuck in your own box, you don't learn too much. 
Not being too specific in, in terms of percentages, how, how much time do you think you would spend sitting back and reflecting on the business and where you want to take it versus actually working in it? Ooh, good question. Um, uh, going back to my wife's input, she would say I never stop thinking about work. Um, and probably I don't, I, you know, in some of the, some of the times you just, you, you, you hear things or you read something and you start thinking about where that, how you can apply it. Um, I probably think 30% of my time is thinking about new ideas and where the industry could be going and what we could be doing. If you just reflect on the catalyst business, mm -hmm. um, you, you said, you said that you built that business based on a, a need for buying. If we just look at the last decade that we've been through and significant change in the industry and the, and the price reforms that happened that stripped a lot of money out of the system, how, how important do you think that the buying um, is versus the selling in today's environment? Ah, good question. I think buying, you've got to have a robust buying strategy and you've got to have systems and um, reporting that enables you to make sure that that's running efficiently. Um, we use the Pentagon, the triangle, so I don't know whether you're familiar with that, with the, the Pentagon being everything that the, the patient touches and sees and feels in the store environment and all that, and the triangle being everything that drives that, which is the unknown, which is the suppliers, the systems and the um, logistics. We're not, we can't be experts in both. We, we focus on the patient, the Pentagon, but you've got to make sure, in this case, the triangle. So strong wholesaler relationship, strong generic partnership, strong generic OTC partnership and then a robust system by which all your deals and all your margins can be tracked and managed so you can pick the outliers up and manage accordingly. That's, it's, it's a lot of work. Michael, what, what, what sort of personal sacrifices have you experienced in your career to date? Uh, Norman, probably being an owner, uh, especially in the early days when, I, as I said, I was running two stores uh, without a lot of support from a professional perspective. and. Um, I had four young kids, or well, over that period of time I had four young kids under six. Um, I, I think, you know, as much as I advocate work-life balance in those early days was out of control, you know, and I, I remember when we fitted out um, our first store, when we combined my dad's store and my store, um, my daughter's like four, I think, or else, yeah, and I, I'd hardly seen her. And, you know, and you look back now and go, what seemed really important at the time, you know, getting this fit out and managing these two stores, but at home, you know, my wife had four young kids running around and the, the eldest was you know, wondering where dad was when he's at work. And really living in a country town where you're working nine to 5.30 and you know, only three hours on a Saturday, I should have been around a lot, but I had other things that I felt more important. So I think you know, my priorities were wrong and, and, and you know, I've, I've learned a lot. Um, I think you know, I, had, I moved away from the Forbes community, which you know, was a long-standing part of my life. And you know, that was to educate my kids. Um, and you know, I, I've told you the story before, part of the, the goal was so I didn't have to send them off to boarding school and end up two out of the four went to boarding school and live five minutes away. So you look around and go, but in the end I think it was the right move for me you know, at the time. And you know, I do travel a bit. In the early days I travelled, um, I tried not to travel more than one night out a week with young kids. But as they've got older and more independent and gone to boarding school, um, you know, for me the balance is, I, well, I'm, a, I'm a country boy living in Sydney. So I get the best of both worlds. I'm living in Sydney. My kids have had the benefit of being educated. They still have strong connections to the country. But my businesses are in the bush. So I get to go out to the country every two weeks. Um, I don't work out there technically. I spend a lot of time talking to my management team and my partners. And, and in Forbes, I just hang out in the shop and talk to the customers and patients. Um, but you know, that has taken, a, that's taken me 30 years to get the balance right.
I'm Norman Thurek from Pitcher Partners, and you're listening to my conversation with Michael Flannery from Life Pharmacy Group. Over the years, over that journey, has your vision for the group of both pharmacy ownership and, and, and management company Instago Catalyst Group, has your vision changed at all? Uh, I would say it's tra- changed dramatically. I mean, in the early days, it was probably about just staying afloat, to be honest with you. And I, I don't think if we went back, we, we laughed that we, we got to finally got a vision and it only taken us 15 years to write. Yeah, and that was because we, every time we have a meeting, we need a vision and you know, vision, mission, values was all yeah. the go. Um, and we came up with these statements that they weren't derived from the right purpose. So I, I think that you know, back in those days, it was just trying to keep ourselves afloat and deal with all the changes in the industry. And, and we probably saw um, strategy and vision as being just tactics, you know, refit a store. And then probably in about 2013, uh, we sat back and you know, we saw the effects of all the PBS reductions and we started to look at the increased requirements of banks to loan money and we saw our business got became more complex, I would say, and there was a lot more risk involved. And we sat down and, and part of the things we discussed was how do we become successful and resilient from a financial perspective? How do we become resilient from a, a pharmacist professional perspective by recruiting young pharmacists and interns, making sure we've got a, a pipeline of pharmacists to be able to deliver the professional services. And then we define that by, and in, in Sarah quoted in the uh, Pharmacy of the Year, that we want to put the pharmacy community back into community pharmacy. And you know, our, our vision is to provide the highest level of what we call pharmacy care to everyone in our community. And we don't define pharmacy care. In one store, it could be um, home deliveries, uh, seven-day service, uh, efficiency, accuracy. There's always a common number of factors in that. But in other stores, it might be a men's health program. In other stores, it might be DAAs. Another store might be uh, a pharmacist visiting homes doing meds reviews. So our pharmacy care is our, we think, encapsulates it all and getting back engaged with our community. So putting the community back in the community pharmacy is important and that's what is old as new again. You know, these, these are things I, taught, I was taught by my dad by watching and listening to how he communicated to his patients, communicated to his health professionals in his town and to his team. And probably we've gone through all these evolutions of you know, strategies and structure and at the end of the day, we brought it right back to, we just want to be really good community pharmacies and offer the highest level of pharmacy care to all our communities. And I think that's it's simple. It, it, underneath, there's a whole lot of other things that go towards achieving that. But yeah, I would say we were slow on the uptake in having vision and mission statements, yeah. but I think we've got a really robust one now. And I think our culture has everyone hopefully engaged in understanding where we're going and how we want to get there. And you know, it's my role to work with my partners and, and, and all our expectations are that we have to deliver that to our teams. Given that mission, Michael, um, how do you view the future of pharmacy? Uh, I think it's really bright, Norman. I think, you know, I, we've been through the chemist warehouse period and, and they're getting, they're strong, and, but they've made us change the way we do pharmacy. And I think as, you know, there's a lot of fence sitters for many years. You know, government legislation changed. We went through the 90s when they marched on Canberra, when they took the margin off dispensing. We've now got the AHI and a whole different model. We've got funded professional services programs in the, in the community pharmacy agreement. Obviously, seven CPA is going to be a big thing to understand what that means for us. But I think you know, I'm I'm bright about it. I think it's an opportunity. I think the advent and the, the expansion, of the scope of the pharmacist practice in store, the opportunities that offers us to meet community needs and patient needs um, is enormous. And especially, and I'm talking particularly in regional areas where 
a GP takes two weeks to get into for a minor ailment. You know, if we can expand minor ailment management, we can expand you know, the, the DAAs into private patients, we can expand sleep apnea programs and diabetic educators in pharmacy and all these sorts of things that are coming from within the four walls of pharmacy. Um, and we can keep that labour force engaged, those young professionals engaged to stay in your community pharmacy, um, work a balance between dispensing, counselling, bring them out, talking to the people, get involved in third party programs that we're doing through you know, six CPA at the moment. I think the, the future looks good and our biggest limitation is access to capital and you know, that's the banks are changing the way they watch our compliance. So I think you, you, you can't take your eye off the financial fundamentals. Being a good accountant, you'd probably appreciate that being a big tick. But you know, we, we have to really make sure that this is well thought through. We can fund it. Um, we don't get ahead of ourselves. But you've got to you know, be able to sort of back yourself, I suppose. Um, find like-minded people to work with and share maybe the cost. Um, get some synergies with different groups, whether it be Catalyst or you know, other groups that are doing similar things. I think pharmacists have to share um, and they have to support each other because at the end of the day, we're all individuals, in a, in a, in a, a lot of individuals in a big pond and we've got to start working together to you know, combat what's coming towards us, whether it be changes in regulation, changes in the way supermarkets behave, Amazon coming in, whatever it is. At the end of the day, you've got to focus on your patient. Um, you've got to have a clear vision, you've got to stick to it, and you've got to make sure people understand what that vision is and communicate it. And I think yeah. energy of all these young pharmacists coming through, energy of managers in, in, in people like um, Instigo, Catalyst, and my own life pharmacy group, they're, they're just refreshing. And to me, it creates a, a really good opportunity in the future for community pharmacy. That's great. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Norman. This is the Picture Partners Pharmacy Podcast Series. I'm Norman Thurick from Picture Partners.